Well, let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand and don't jump to your feet. But did anyone here sin this week? Anyone, anyone that calls themselves a believer, did any believers, any Christians, any people that love Jesus, did anybody who would characterize yourself as a Christian, did any of you sin this week? What I mean by that is did you, did you think something you shouldn't have thought or say something you shouldn't have said or do something you, you should not have done and immediately you were convicted by the Holy Spirit? Don't raise your hand, but did anybody have an, an occurrence like that this week? We are like, man, I, I messed up again. What are all of us who have to answer yes to that question going to do with the verse of Scripture that's found in Hebrews 10, 26 that reads this way? For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. What are we going to do with that? For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. That verse of scripture right there, guys, I'll point over here to y'all, plagued me my, all of my teenage years. I spent my whole teenage years praying for Jesus not to come back. Because I was afraid I was going to go to hell. I mean, if that verse is true... I didn't see any way that I was going to be able to make the cut. Because I knew the truth. And I knew I had accepted the Lord when I was seven years old. And I, and I knew what was right and wrong. And I've been in church all my life. And I understood conviction. Yet I continued from time to time to commit sins. And I would tell the Lord, I'll never do it again. But sometimes I say, God, I don't want to lie to you. I'm afraid I'm probably going to do that again. I don't want, I want to repent because I don't want to go to hell. But at the same token, I'm afraid I'm going to do that again. I got a pretty good feeling I'm going to do that again. And what am I going to do? And so I would repent and then basically hope that Jesus didn't come back. Until I could somehow figure out how to get my life right and keep it that way. Anybody else ever had those kind of thoughts? What are we going to do with this verse of Scripture that says, for if we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. What are we going to do? Man, we're in trouble. Some of us may have done something this week that we had to ignore the Holy Spirit in order to do, but we still did it. I don't know about you, but I've been walking with the Lord long enough now that, that I mean, I make mistakes, but basically, I, I, I walk with the Lord and I hear His voice and I hear the Holy Spirit and very rarely do I do something now wrong without knowing about it before I did it. I mean, even smashing my finger, I may not say bad words, but I think them and I know it's wrong. I think some bad words. I mean, I think some things that make the sailors blush sometimes. And I don't say them, but I'll tell you sometimes I want to. 
And sometimes it's not just smashing my fingers. Sometimes y'all do stuff that make me think those kind of things. So you knew, you knew, you knew not to laugh at that joke. You knew not to say that word. You knew not to think that thought and you did it anyway. Does that mean in light of that verse that there's no hope for you and you're going to hell? That's a scary verse if that's what that means. What if I could explain this verse to you? In such a way that would allow you to leave here today with a little bit of peace and some hope. Would you be interested? I would. Now, now let, me, let me preface where I'm going with this to say that I understand no sin will enter heaven. I always thought that meant that if I was a sinner at the time I died, I wouldn't go to heaven. That's not what that means. First of all, this body's never going to go to heaven. The soul in here that is saved is going to go to heaven, but this carnal flesh that wants to sin is going to die. Someday it's going to die and I'll be done with it. I'll be free from it. No sin will enter heaven doesn't mean that I'm not going to get into heaven with my body because of the last thing I did being wrong or right. It means that there is no sin in heaven. No sin will enter there. It's not there now and it's not ever coming there. And everybody that comes there will be born again and they'll be covered by the blood of Jesus. And when they get there, they'll, they will be leaving behind their flesh. They'll be leaving behind the death that clung to them. And when they get to heaven, they will be in a sinless place with a sinless Savior for a sinless eternity. No sin will enter heaven. I understand that. I also understand that unconfessed and unrepentant sins are very dangerous. I understand that grace is not a license to sin. I get that. So do you, right? But, 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 but we still have a real problem in that as long as we are housed in these flesh in casements, we're going to keep messing up. These carnal minds and fleshly bodies don't do right. Paul said, I'm at a war. I continue to try to beat that back. I'm at war inside this thing. There's a spirit in me that wills to do good, but man, there's a body and I'm fighting. I struggle. So what does Hebrews 10, 26 mean? Well, first of all, you need to study it in its context. You shouldn't just grab it and jerk it out of there and say, oh, here's, I'm going to read this. And it literally says that if I sin willfully after I knew the truth, there's no more sacrifice for sin. So those of us who heard that growing up our whole lives lived under the condemnation that I talked about as a teenager that kept me getting saved in every revival service that we had at our church. I don't know how many times I've been saved. Which is a strange thought. 
isn't it? Saved. You know what saved is? Saved is a person in the middle of the ocean who can't swim without a life jacket. Who only has a brief few seconds to get a hand up and yell, help! in hopes that somebody will grab them out of that water, because if they don't, they're going to die. So I have not been that many times. That has happened in my life once. I've almost died twice, and one of them was almost drowning. That's not a fun story. But I understand the desperation of an individual who can't stay above the water anymore, and they have no breath left. Their mind is screaming for salvation, but they are unable to do anything for themselves. Someone else will have to save them. So I was saved when I was seven. But I've repented lots of times since. I've spent many times rededicating my life to the Lord. Every revival, every real spiritual Sunday night service that came around, every hell, fire, and brimstone message. I mean, every time conviction got in the house, I got to the altar pretty much because I was like Shannon Bratton. He said when he was a kid, he was just hanging on to the horns of the altar trying to make it to heaven. Shannon and I probably repented about as much as each other. Having known Shannon the way I do, I got a feeling he repented a lot. Probably almost as much as me. But you need to understand this verse in its context. Because if you were to go back and look at this verse in its full context, understand what's going on in this whole chapter, not just in this verse. And in this chapter, Paul is teaching that there is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to be saved but by Jesus. That's the basis, the context of the passage of Scripture. There is no other way to be saved. The verse is not saying that if you ever sin again after you're saved, that now there's no more sacrifice for you. Or that the sacrifice which is Jesus, is somehow not powerful enough to save you from later sins. How ludicrous and ridiculous would it be for us to think that the God who can save us initially couldn't continue to forgive us for subsequent sins that would happen later on in life? But a literal translation of this verse would make you to know, oh, I knew not to lie. As a believer, I knew not to lie, and I lied again. Well, I guess there's no need me trying to go back to church anymore. Because I sinned willfully after I knew the truth. So there's no more sacrifice for me. That's the literal translation that we get in our mind of that verse. It's not what it means. In its context, it's saying to you, yes, there is something. And I'm getting there. There is a way that you have hope. There is a way that you can still be saved. There is a way that you can see Jesus and go to heaven. Even if you sin after you know the truth. I would not recommend that you leave here today saying, oh, the pastor said that that thing I've been struggling with is okay for me because there'll always be a chance for me to get. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you better work out your own salvation with much fear and trembling according to the word of God. 
And if God tells you something, sin, buddy, you better quit it or you better try. You better be trying. You better be working. You better be praying. You better be fasting. You better be in the Word. You better be trying to overcome because the Holy Spirit says you can. But if you sin, which every single one of us have done since we became believers at one time or another, in spite of conviction in our lives, whether it was a bad word or a bad thought or a bad action, Because remember, repentance is change the way you think and feel. Attitude is change the way you think and act. We talked about that last week. We're working on changing the way we think, act, and feel. But we can't do that ourselves. We don't have within us what it's going to take to make those changes. Here's what he is saying in this verse. That once a person has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I mean truly become a believer. And they didn't just emotionally follow the rest of the kids down to the altar at, at, uh, at the youth revival. But a person who truly determined and counted the cost of following Christ and said, I am going to die to my sin and I'm going to accept Christ as my Savior. Once that person has done that, that person has become a believer. Paul is now talking to that situation. A person who knows Jesus, who knows what it is to walk in his spirit, and at some point decides, makes a conscious and willful decision to renounce their faith. This is who Paul is talking to. A believer who says, I I knew him, I knew his power, I knew he was real, I knew it was legit, but I don't care. I renounce my faith, I'm walking away from God, and I don't care. And Paul says, buddy, you the one that if you sin willfully after you've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no sacrifice. What he's saying is to that person who walks away intentionally, renouncing their faith and going farther and farther from the Lord, it's not that God wouldn't save them, but but the scripture is saying that there is nothing else to save them. Calling to that person who's getting further and further away. you got to come back because there's not anything out there that's going to save you. There'll be nothing over there. There'll be nothing over there. There's no other way. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. There's no other sacrifice that can get to buddy if you walk away from this you better count the cost because you're walking away from the only way truth and light that's what the verse means let me show you how that it works our text is first john you see you're just now getting to the text i'll move quick 1 John 2, 1, my little children, who's the little children? That's the believers, that's us, you and me. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. I don't want you to sin, he says, sin is not good. And if anyone sins, he says that after, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
And he is the propitiation concerning our sins and not concerning ours only, but also concerning the sins of all the world. John says sin is unacceptable. Sin is going to destroy your body. It will destroy your future. It will destroy your dreams. It will destroy your life in general. Unconfessed and unrepentant sins will cost you your soul. But to all of you little children, all of you little children, raise your hand. All of you little children, there's good news for you. The father so loves us that his son came to die for us. And if you sin, there's a plan that has been put in place to provide you hope. If anyone sins, we've established that that happens to be all of us. Maybe the other churches in town are full of people that don't, but we're all a bunch of sinners at Trinity. If anyone sins, the word says we have an advocate. What is an advocate? Let me tell you what, let me tell you what an advocate is. The definition of an advocate is this. It is one who pleads the case of another. It is one who defends the cause of another. It's one who supports and promotes the interests of another. This is what we have. This is who is seated at the right hand, the hand of power of the father. And when you, the little child who loves him, messes up and cries out and repents, he does this. The word advocate in the passage is a Greek word. It's the same Greek word that is used in Acts to describe the Holy Spirit. Because what we're being taught is the advocate or the counselor or the comforter or the consoler, the Holy Spirit is the advocate for man on earth. But Jesus is that person in heaven. Here's what's so cool about this. The word actually means intercessor, comforter, and consoler. Jesus is the intercessor, the comforter, and the consoler who is defending and supporting and promoting and all of those things for you in heaven. What qualified him to do that? Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he himself has suffered having been tempted, he is able to rescue those who are being tempted. What's that mean? He's been there and done that, except for he's been there and didn't do that. That's the difference. He's been there and he didn't do that. Which qualified him as the only sinless person, the only possible person that could ever have been your advocate to a holy God. The only qualified person to ever stand before a qualified God, a holy God, and defend and promote and plead your case. Hmm. Righteous propitiation. You see that? You know what righteous propitiation is? It means innocent atonement. The innocent atoner sits in the seat of utmost power in the throne room of heaven interceding for you. Wow. You know, if you were a little bit more Pentecostal, 
I'd have to stop right there and wait for you. And after a while, you'd sit back down and I'd keep going. He intercedes for us. Now you're not worth it and I'm not worth it. Yet there he is sitting at the right hand of the father, pleading my case, defending my cause, supporting and promoting my interests. Now I'm not talking, listen to me, I'm, I'm not being mean, but, but I'm, trying to, I'm trying to explain who I'm talking to here today. I'm not talking to that individual who tries to show up to church on Easter Sunday once every two or three years, hoping that'll be enough to skirt hell. I'm not talking to him. He just needs to get saved. Somebody say amen. I'm talking to people who love Jesus, who it hurts them when they fail, who hate the sin, but it still happened. People that, that struggle, but they, but they allow themselves to not have the victory that they should have. They don't live like overcomers because every time they fail, the devil reminds them of a verse like that that they misinterpret. They twist it out of context and it jacks them up for two or three weeks. So instead of going forward and doing something good for the Lord, they're back here someplace repenting all the time, feeling confused and never doing anything for God. I'm saying to you, Jesus wants you to be an overcomer. He wants you to move on in spite of understanding you're not ever going to get this thing right. You got to care about it. You got to repent because of it. You got to stay on top of it. You got to stay full of the Holy Ghost and keep that topped off. But you might as well go ahead and do something for Jesus. Quit waiting to get good enough and quit spending all of your time repenting for your sins. Instead, do something for the Lord. If you ever fall, you need to know something. There's an advocate in heaven named Jesus, and he's got your back. He's got your back. I want to tell you a story. A man purchased a white mouse to feed to his pet snake. Now, I know that's terrible. People do it. He had this big snake in a glass cage and he went and bought the mouse for the express purpose of feeding it to the snake. He went home and he dropped the little mouse into the glass cage. The snake was asleep. The mouse immediately realized he's in trouble. When the snake wakes up, he is going to be eaten. So he feverishly begins to cover the snake with the sawdust chips that the snake is lying in. And he covers him all the way up until finally the mouse can't see the snake anymore. And since he can't see the snake, he figures, I'm good. Some of y'all are way smarter than me, aren't you? You always stay so far ahead of me. Quit doing that. He thinks he's good. The man outside the cage had been watching this whole thing go down. And due to the effort of the little mouse, he feels pity and reaches in and takes the mouse out before the snake wakes up. He what? Saves the mouse. When you have a string of good days... 
You ever have those times where you think that I've finally done it? I have made it for three days without sinning. Anybody ever, has anybody ever made three days? <laughs> that, hey, st- come across the front, we got an award for you. Right? You say, but pastor, we're laughing about something. Other churches say, man, if we, we're, we're going to hell. I'm saying if you've made three days without a sin, you deserve some kind of an accolade that they should give you so you can throw it at the feet of Jesus when you get to heaven. That's how we live. That's how we live, though, under that kind of condemnation where we're like, okay, man, I've done it. I made one day. I made two days. I made three days. I made, and, and, and you make three or four, maybe even a week, maybe even make a week, and then you start feeling like, I, I can do this. I'm saving myself. I'm covering up the snake. Huh? I'm covering up the snake. One day, two days, three days, four days. Hey, I've not sinned in four days. The snake is gone. The snake is gone. Huh? At some point, the snake wakes up, shakes off the sawdust. And there you are again. Sin has overtaken you. You need to remember this. God's grace is what is saving you. That's what's keeping you. That's what's preserving you. All of your attempts to cover up the snake with sawdust, that is not what is saving you. Might make you feel good about yourself for a few days. But that's what makes you feel really bad about yourself for a few days. When you fall, you're like, man, I made it for a week. And then I failed. I thought, I said, I did. Wow, now I got to what? Start all over. Let me repent because I remember Hebrews. I don't want to die in the sin because I don't want to go to hell. Don't come just for a minute, Lord. Let me get this right. Wow. Surely I'm not the only one that's spent years under that kind of condemnation. Bottom line is, guys, we just can't get good enough. We never will. We will never see the day that we don't need a ministry like Celebrate Recovery at our church. We're always going to need these altars. And if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, we need to make the services go closer together. Well, let's just cut out the altar time. I'm going to say time out. We got to have these altars. That's what's keeping my mind right. We're going to have Pentecost. We're going to have the Holy Ghost. I'm not, I'll, give up, I'll give up some of the singing. I'll stop talking so long. But we're not going to give up the move of the Holy Spirit. Got to have that. That's the only thing that matters. That's the thing that's getting me through. When I fail and I fail and I fail. And I fall and I fall and I fall. Oh God, I'm so tired of falling and failing. Will I ever, God, will I ever quit sinning? God's like, no, because if you ever quit sinning, you won't think you need me no more. And I said, God, how far does your grace go? (laughs) Because in my mind, it's got to stop somewhere. 
God says, my grace covers everything. See, here's how this, how this works. You have an advocate. If you truly love him, if you have accepted him, if you're serving him the best you can, then you don't ever need to worry about your salvation being in jeopardy. That's the if. It's not a license to sin, but I'm going to tell you something. If you're the person who wants to sin, then you're not saved anyway. If you want to sin, then you're not saved anyway, and grace don't cover you anyhow. Do what you want to do. If you want to sin, go sin. You might as well until you're ready to get your life right. Because you're not saved. But if you truly are born again, if you truly love Jesus, if He's the Lord and the Savior and the God of your life and all you want to do is please Him, then you don't have to worry about going to hell. You just need to continue to go to the Advocate. Here's how the Advocate works. He knows you're guilty. And he does not, hear this, I'm wrapping this up. He does not defend you in heaven. He said, Pastor, you just said he did. That's not the way that he does this. He doesn't defend your action. He doesn't defend your sin. He doesn't plead your case for why you did it. He straight up acknowledges you're a sinner. He reasons in the court of heaven. He straight up goes in and says, yeah, I know he's a sinner. I know she's a sinner and she sinned. There's no question about that. He tells straight up, tell the father that I know they're a sinner. I'm not going to argue that I'd lose my case. Here's how I'm going to defend them though. Father, you ready for this? He reasons that his work on the cross overrides your transgression and he has already forgiven you the logic is not to say he did it for this reason because none of those reasons would matter the logic is simply to say I overcame that on the cross we don't need to talk about that here father because I already defeated that my My blood was more powerful than their thought or their action or their deed. Wow. How about, how about all of you little children who really love Jesus, who want to serve him with all your heart? How about all of you all in Jesus name walking out of here today with a little bit of liberty and a little bit of freedom and a little bit of peace and a little bit of joy. And the next time somebody tries to pin that verse on you and say, "Ah, oh, you're not a sinner. You said a bad or you're not a Christian. You said a bad. You say, hang on a minute. I know what that verse means, but I know I have an advocate who sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. And His work on the cross is more powerful than any mess I could ever get into on this planet. I am so thankful for an advocate today. Aren't you? How many of you want to join me in the altar right now? Come down, just get on your knees, throw your hands up and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for the advocate. Come on, stand right there where you're at. Sit right where you're at. Walk around. You know what we're going to do. This is a place of prayer. Turn it into one and just however you feel led. 
just accept this word. Get this word in your spirit. Let it get in your heart. Let it get in your life. Let it transform you. Let it change you. Let it set you free. All over this room, we're moving. However you want to move. You're acknowledging, God, this word is for me today. This word sets me free. This word gives me life. Pray all over the room. Pray however you want to pray. I want to ask a question. I'm not interrupting any of these folks that are down here just acknowledging this word and receiving it in their spirit. But I want to ask a question. Is there anybody here today who wants to repent of their sin? Who wants to acknowledge Christ and ask Him to come into their heart and forgive them for their sin? Is there anybody? I want everybody to bow your heads. Nobody look. I just want you to raise your hand if that's you. If, if you would raise your hand and say, that's me. I, 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 know who, I know who's already got their hands raised and they're worshiping the Lord. I'm asking if that's you that would say, I need to come to Jesus today. And I need to repent of my sins and ask Him to come into my heart. Is there anybody? Is there anybody? Anyone? Maybe you're like me and you just, this is one of those good days for rededicating. You say, I've already, I've already accepted the Lord in my heart. But in light of this word, I just want to make a fresh new commitment to the Lord. If that's you, would you raise your hand? If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to make you come down here. I just want you to acknowledge that right now. You say, I'm ready. I just need to, need to, I, I just need to make a fresh rededication. Raise those hands. Let me see who you are. Who are you? Raise them up. Let me see. There's one, two. How many more? Three. How many more? How many more? Raise your hand. Four. How many more? Five. How many more? Say, I just, I'm just ready to rededicate it and get, I'm ready to get things. Five so far. How many more? Anybody else? Six. Six. You folks that are raising your hand, you don't need to come down here and get saved. At some point in your life, you gave your heart to Jesus. You love him and you're trying to serve him. You just had some bad days. I want you to understand something today. The Holy Spirit wants to set you free. Wants to give you that fresh new zeal and that new zest that you used to have. Wants to give that life back to you. Lord, let the Holy Ghost begin to fall in this house. These God that have lifted their hands, I pray, oh Lord, that they they will sense a refreshing, a renewing in their spirit. Breathe life, God. Breathe life. God, begin to go through our hearts and our minds and opening up closet doors that have been off limits to the Holy Ghost. I'm saying come through right now, God, and open up those places in our mind. Begin to shine light in dark places. Begin to blow out some things, blow out some dust. And fill those places with light. And with the Holy Ghost, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I worship you, Father. I magnify your name. I thank you for your word. I praise you for your word. I thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus. Set us free today, God. Set us free. Set us free. Set us free that we not walk in bondage anymore. We stand fast in liberty and not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. 
Help us, I pray today, God. Thank you for it, Master. Praise and glory and worship. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy. Magnify you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. And I'm not adding to that, but in light of what we learned today, I would take that statement on to say, because as a believer, there don't have to be. The sacrifice is powerful. It saves me, it keeps me. The grace saves me, keeps me. Defends me, protects me, and take me all the way to heaven. How many people in this room want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven? Anybody here? You raise your hand. You want to go to heaven? Anybody want? To, does anybody want to go to heaven? You say, "Well, are you trying to get a load today?" I mean, I don't want to go today. What are you, what are you saying? I ain't saying we're going today. I'm saying you want to go to heaven. <laughs> We're going to go to heaven. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to live eternally. Someday we're going to shuck this body and all of its bad thoughts and ways and actions. We're going to shuck that off. And we're going to wake up in a new glorified state. And live and rule and reign with Christ forever. And the devil who's been causing all this problem. He'll be so far gone. I don't know that we'll even remember him. When we get to heaven. That's why that hymnist wrote all those years ago. When we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. It's going to be awesome. I'm going there. Are you? I'm not going to let the devil try to twist the word to keep me from, make me think that I can't make it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let him twist it around and cause me to think that, that I'm not good enough. Because I already know I'm not good enough. I'm not going to get to heaven because of my goodness. I'm going to get to heaven because of the advocate who's going to plead my case all the way there. Glory to Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. I love you. God bless you. Pastor Chad.